0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, the host of this podcast, and I'm just so excited to be here with Kevin Kador. Kevin Kador is a senior partner in marine compliance and regulatory affairs for Ingram Barge Company, where he provides leadership and oversight to associates on regulatory affairs associated with inspections, third-party audits and surveys, and post-incident responses. Prior to that, Kevin retired as a chief warrant officer in the United States Coast Guard, after a 21-year career, his most recent Coast Guard assignments were the Offshore Gulf of Mexico Safety and Regulatory Professional, where he was responsible for supervising, training, and mentoring new safety compliance inspectors that conducted offshore inspections throughout the Gulf of Mexico. And prior to that, Kevin was the Assistant Supervisor and Lead Marine Investigator at Marine Safety Detachment Cincinnati, Ohio. He's had numerous other positions in the Gulf Coast and on the inland rivers but has stayed in the 8th Coast Guard District, which encompasses 26 states throughout his career. Kevin is a native of New Orleans, Louisiana, and grew up in the inner city and spends a lot of his free time helping give back to his community in each location he has lived so that others can have a chance to see themselves, transcend their environment, wherever that may be. Kevin has been married to Monica for 20 years and they have two kids. He is still plugging away and is almost finished with his Bachelor of Science in Fire Protection Engineering from Eastern Kentucky University and has an associate's degree in business administration from American Military University with a certificate in fire science. Well, welcome, Kevin. So excited to have you on the podcast today.
1: Man, Keith, thank you. Like That introduction, it's amazing. (laughs) I want to say uh, thank you, man. I appreciate the opportunity for coming on.
0: Yeah, I'm just excited to talk to you. I was at Kevin's retirement. Me and Kevin go way back. I was a brand new ensign, and I think Kevin was still Either a petty officer or, or a chief, or rank, growing through the ranks with me, and I just have watched him grow and become a great leader in the Coast Guard. And he's a remarkable mentor of mine as well. We've progressed in our own careers and retired pretty close to each other, not too far apart. So I admire Kevin. We both have a affinity for New Orleans. Kevin's goes a lot deeper than mine, obviously, as he grew up there. And I've just spent you know eleven years now, almost twelve years of my long career that retired and then stayed here in New Orleans. So I just am, admire all the work Kevin's done here to continue to come back many tours in and continue to give back to the community. And I see all the work that he's done behind the scenes and in the Coast Guard. And now with Ingram Barge Company, you continue to do that and have opportunities to do more. So what what is it about
1: New Orleans that you just love and keeps bringing you back here? Well, I mean, of course, me being from here, it's, it's home even though I've been away many other places and everything else. People say the food. Of course, folks that's not originally from here will say the food. For me, it's not just the food. It's the people. It's the culture. It's family. It's something about it that even for yourself, you know, other people come within the Coast Guard, transfer to New Orleans, and a lot of them kicking and screaming, don't want to come here, want to leave, want to leave, want to leave. But then somehow they wind up staying 13, 14, 16, 20 years. The rest of the career in the New Orleans area because it's something that takes a hold of you. The hospitality, it it changes. It almost changes who you are and the support that you get from others and you give to others that it's just a big family. And because of that, people tend not to want to leave because of that family atmosphere that just holds you together, keeps you tight. So when something's going on, guess what? Those friends, those neighbors that you found Some support in will make sure they support you from in on in, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a flood, whatever it may be, they will definitely support you and help you out as much as you can. And that's hard to get away from. And so for me, you know, it's those things, it's those, my connection with my community that allows me to keep coming back and say, you know what, I don't think I I would want to go somewhere else. And if I do, I would love to take all the people with me that's here. So I love it.
0: I think the city, the people, It has soul, you know. I think the music, the food. People talk about the food; they don't know what it is. It's the flavor. Sometimes it's spicy, but it's the flavor. It's the soul that goes into making that food. It's the love, you know. Even in the music, the jazz, the influence that leads into all the other types of music. It's that soul. And I think a lot about the influences that lead to New Orleans becoming what it is. And a lot of it's built upon significant hardship. There's a lot of hardship that's existed throughout time, a significant history that leads to New Orleans. You know, the recent history have been filled with hardship, but it goes a lot further than that. There's been a lot of hardship that really leads into that. And I, I just wonder, you know, how much of that kind of hardship and the way people come together do you think really brings that family atmosphere into the area?
1: I mean, it does, because I would tell you one for me, wherever I go, if somebody says something about my city, I stand up and say, what? What are you talking about? Like, no, nah, not my city. It's more of a pride. It's more of, hey, you don't know what all my city has gone through, my struggles I've gone through within that city to be where we at. I mean, one of the things many people will say, well, I don't know why people will live in a place that's below sea level. Well, guess what? I don't know why many people live in other places that also have tornadoes and everything else. But sometimes we have the option of picking where we live and sometimes we don't. But at the end of the day, wherever you at, you make the best out of it. And because of that, the things that goes alongs with that, like you said, the food, the music, um, the people, it's it's transcending. It's something that whether you're here for a week or you're here forever, it's something in that that's transcend you to make you always remember. Man, that place is an awesome place to be at, an awesome place to live, an awesome place to visit, and that's why people tend to constantly come back. It's also a place that you know, as you mentioned, you know all the hardship and everything. I mean, you're talking about one of the oldest cities that has gone through so much. The different cultures that's here, that's that's been here from the beginning, and everything else, and the changes that it's gone through. All those things just kind of again, grab a hold of you, and uh, whether or not. When a hurricane happens, guess what? It ain't just one person experienced that hurricane. It's everybody within the area. So, you know, it's, you're talking about maybe a whole city is out of powers, but guess what? Hey, my neighbor got a generator. My neighbor got a, got a gas grill. Hey, man, we got some charcoal. Let's freaking try to cook up some food. Let's cook up this food in this refrigerator. And hey, let's help each other out. And it's those things. And even, even the businesses also becomes more of an individual because how much they try to impact and help folks out in time of need, that it's like, why would you go away from that? It's it's awesome.
0: It's hard to explain to people that haven't experienced it, but it really becomes a beautiful thing during storm response and the way people come together. And I just have really appreciated it. And I as much as I don't want to see the hardship of the storms, I really love the way adversity brings people together. And there's power in that. I think the question I have as we talk about servant leadership is how do, we, how do we create that in an organization? How do we bring that soul to an organization where we can have this environment where people come together in the same way, where we really invite the sharing of cultures, the sharing of thoughts, the sharing of food and music in an environment that helps us bring our best selves to our work
1: environment? recently getting out the Coast Guard and beating with this organization on what you think barge company, it's one of those things that, you know, you're going from one sector, government sector to private sector, they still have the family and um and the cohesiveness is there. But it's something about while being in a service that whether or not it's because you, you know, you had to pledge to the oath or because you locked into a certain contract for a certain amount of time and you know you're not going anywhere. It's something about those things that ties you in a little bit more. But on the other hand, within the city itself of New Orleans, you do have many associates and organizations. I'm saying that because it's hard to get a large group of people to, of course, follow along with that, but you can do it in small groups. And by having those small groups, I mean, you're definitely reach or have possibly have a a impact that grows and that grows out, connects to others. So with that, it's how do you find that? How do you find the right organization that kind of that kind of has a philosophy of what you're trying to that a philosophy that you understand, that you agree with and getting in those pockets of groups and helping that way to get those people to get folks to provide that service, that servitude. So. I'm still trying to figure out and wrangle that challenge, being out of the service now. You know, you're kind of somewhat forced to be part of small little groups, but now I have the opportunity and freedom to search out and look for the groups that I want to be a part of. Even the ones that I've been a part of in the past, now I can stretch it out a little bit more. I can dedicate a little bit of time, a little bit more and do those things. So that's where I'm at of trying to, uh, you know, continue to find that servitude because, I mean, every organization does something. The majority time does great things. Whether it's, you know, something for charity, whether it's something for, you know, Habitat Humanity, it's so many different things. Um, Son of a Saint, it's so many different organizations that helps out individuals and help out groups of people just to find out, you know, which one is which and understanding what they do and, you know, what their philosophy are.
0: Yeah, that's some great thoughts. And, you know, it's interesting to me because I've been learning a lot more that things are easier to digest and to speak more vocally on an individual level in small groups, but we always want to start with large groups. We always want to get people together in large groups, right? Because yeah. it's easier to convey a lot of information in a larger group, but it doesn't really lend itself to psychological safety. It doesn't really lend itself to wanting to open up and divulge my inner thoughts or you know my cultural background in these larger groups. And so uh, it was interesting that you went to, hey, there's a lot of these different small groups that we could invite in and have discussions with you know in our organizational setting they're already doing a lot of these servant leadership type activities and we could just figure out ways to work with them to do some community outreach or do different things for full disclosure we're recording this episode on June 21st this episode is going to be re- released somewhere around July 5th so the day after independence day now Kevin and I as we were brainstorming what we wanted to talk about we had, we came together with this idea about how we could combine the ideas of Juneteenth and Independence Day and really come up with a better way to frame the concept of freedom and independence in a way that's more holistic and can invite you all as listeners to think about ways that we could expand our definition of independence in this country and internationally. We have a great international listening audience. About 15% of the audience comes internationally all throughout the world. And so that's pretty neat. So I just wanted to mention all of you, thanks for listening, but you know, expand our definition of a freedom and you know use the example of Juneteenth and just how long it took for the Emancipation Proclamation to reach everybody because that's a great example of we can limit ourselves in how we define freedom and we can limit ourselves in how we expand our organizations and do different things. And we might even be holding individuals back if we're not allowing them, to recognize and bring their fullest selves to the table. And if we're not having good conversations about things like Juneteenth, we're definitely not harnessing the full capacity of our of our individuals like Kevin, who came from the inner city of New Orleans and might want to actually have good conversations about these things. Kevin, I just want to first open up before I, we give some facts about Juneteenth, what are your thoughts about Juneteenth in general?
1: I mean, June 19th, definitely a day of celebration for all those folks who were left out on the original date of when slavers were freed. You know, the fact that that was the final, the final day that everyone was freed was, of course, incredible. Took a little while, but still a great day that, you know, folks can move forward with their lives as much as possible as they could. And it's, it's something that, kind of like you mentioned with the independence, like that was their independence, being able to achieve that. It's something that was way long overdue. But it came, and sometimes things don't come when you want it, but it does come. And despite those things, you know, it still was tough. And many, even in our daily lives, sometimes we want things to happen by the way, and it don't happen. So, given that all that they had to go through and be involved with, and finally get that day, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's it's almost like you know, for us in the service, you know, you know when you're going to get promoted, but you don't know when you're going to get promoted. <laughs> So it's definitely a day to be celebrated, definitely a definitely day, something to talk about with everybody, because I mean, again, you know, we all feel that we're equal and we should be treated equal and, you know, we all should be experience the same thing at the same time as others. And, you know, to me, that's what that June 19th is. It's like, hey, you know what? Even though this happened, we can still experience this moment together and share it with each other and talk about it and understand it and relate to it.
0: Yeah. Thanks for those beautiful thoughts, Kevin. I really appreciate those. And I wanted you to share those before we read some facts because I wanted it to be personal to the listeners before we got into some facts. But you know, I I just have these feelings that we talk a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, but we don't really get into the heart of some of these issues. And we don't talk about facts in ways that can get deeper and we can educate ourselves and transfer knowledge to one another. So we really wanted to make this a little bit more personal and and have a good conversation that you could then take back to your your peer groups, your friends, your coworkers, and expand upon those concepts. And I start with this: you know, the Declaration of Independence, um, 1776, Emancipation Proclamation, 1863 ish. You know, then June 19th, 1865. You know, then it doesn't even become a federal holiday if, until the 21st century. So you have a long time. So. It, The Declaration of Independence was founded on amazing ideas that were probably way ahead of their time. You know, they looked far beyond the existing governments that they had. A lot of these ideas weren't even envisioned or executed by those people that signed the Declaration of Independence. And we can have a conversation about that, but what I really want to focus on is you look and it took almost a hundred years for the people in government to even fully execute some of those ideas that were on paper that people knew were good ideas. And so people then start to execute those ideas. Well, it takes hundred years more plus before we start to actually recognize that we need to celebrate these ideas as good ideas throughout the whole nation and honor those people for what they did. So over 200 years, you know, that's a long time for a good idea to fully be manifested and celebrated that's what happens if we don't put the right people in position to talk about who they are and what they can do and also celebrate them for their diverse backgrounds in a way that allows them to be their best selves. Is These good ideas are left dormant for far too long. And that's why we need to have better conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion in a way that allows people to progress. So before I read some facts about June 19th and how this came about, Kevin, any thoughts you want to add to that?
1: I mean, you're right on. As I look at the uh, as environment today, to be honest, I don't dig deep into it. But, you know, when it's such things of, oh, hey, we're going to eliminate diversity, equality and, you know, some of these other different programs and stuff at college and stuff. It's like those things are important. Those things is what it's what helps us become better people. Because without us knowing about each other's story or knowing about, I wouldn't even say story, just your background, you lose a lot of information just to make you a better person, personal growth. I mean, when people say, oh, I want to, I want to be a better person or personal growth, it's like, it's those things that help you do that because you understand other people's challenges. It does challenges, you know, whether it's race challenge, whether it's poverty challenges, the challenges in your life. May have an impact on me and help me, um, my view of things, whether it's a situation I come across, whatever, just it helps me make a, a hopefully make a better decision in my choices that I go about my life because of what you may be able to share with me. And if I don't have the chance to share it, if I don't have the chance to learn about it, then I'm stuck in that box of just me, pretty much. And like, to be honest, I mean, I, I don't want to be in a box stuck with just me. (laughs) It's not fun.
0: I love that. And too often we can create that box unintentionally where we think we're creating an open environment, but people don't feel open. So they don't share themselves is what I've been learning over and over again as I progress to different roles in leadership. And I don't want to be that person that creates these boxes unintentionally. I want to open the environment up to sharing great ideas and to fully embracing the full potential of people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, depends on the roles that we're in. I mean, at the end of the day, you you gotta listen to people. You gotta listen to people, you gotta listen to what they say or what they have. Not saying that it's right or wrong, but you gotta listen and understand, like, hey, you know what? Maybe if I take ten percent of what they're saying, I take another ten percent of what they're saying, and I add it to my, you know, to my eighty percent, hey, we might have something or the percentage could be different. It could be you have twenty percent, they have ninety percent of it. It's like, hey, you know what? Man, you're right on, but hey, let's tweak this a little bit, and we write on it, and all of a sudden, guess what? Two people involved in certain situations, then we getting recognized for it, or we've we done something that could change the world, anything like that. But if you just continue just to hold on and not pay attention or not listen or even take some of that input, then I mean you're never you can never get, you can never get anywhere by yourself by doing that.
0: Never. Yeah, it's so true. We need each other. All right, let's read some facts so we can make sure that everybody has some good facts. And we're going to share these in the show notes. This is from the historical legacy of Juneteenth on the National um, Historical Site, so from the Smithsonian. So we'll share this in the show notes for everyone to have access to. So on Freedom's Eve or the eve of January 1st, 1863, the first watch night services took place. On that night, enslaved and free African Americans gathered in churches and private homes all across the country awaiting news that the Emancipation Proclamation had taken effect. At the stroke of midnight, prayers were answered as all enslaved people in Confederate states were declared legally free. Union soldiers, many of whom were black, marched onto plantations and across cities in the South, reading small copies of the Emancipation Proclamation, spreading the news of freedom in Confederate states. Only through the 13th Amendment did the Emancipation end slavery throughout the United States but not everyone in Confederate territory would immediately be free. Even though the Emancipation Proclamation was made effective in 1863, it could not be implemented in places still under Confederate control. As a result, in the westernmost Confederate state of Texas, enslaved people would not be free until much later. Freedom finally came on June 19, 1865, when some 2,000 Union troops arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas. The Army announced that the The more than 250,000 enslaved black people in the state were free by executive decree. This day came to be known as Juneteenth by the newly freed people in Texas. So, 250,000 people, this is not a small number that were held up until 1965. So, two and a half years later after the Emancipation Proclamation was decreed. So, you know, and that's, there's many more in between that. that, that number probably is a lot larger as that decree was taken, you know, state to state, you know, in the in the means of transportation of the day back then. So, you know, I think as we talk about this concept of freedom, independence and also of even in the modern era, there's different types of slavery even today that exist, whether it be human trafficking, whether it be, you know, different forms of holding people back and, you know, lack of equality and different things that exist all throughout the world. What can we do to increase freedom and independence in our environments that we exist in as individuals,
1: Kevin? I mean, so you got to allow people to participate. And when I say participate, I'm leaving it broad. You got to allow people to speak. You got to allow people to be heard. Because, I mean, without that, I mean, you feel left out. There's so many different ways that, I mean, it's kind of hard just to one thing, because it is a broad thing, but you got to allow people to be seen, seen, heard, and uh, be able to speak. I'm going to go with those three things because I, I there's so many other things, but I think those three things. So by allowing a person to be heard, you at least give them a chance to be validated, a chance, because you still have to listen to them. You still have to receive it. So at least you give them a chance to be validated, to be seen. It's also another, it's being seen as more of like you see their existence, that they're a, they're present on this earth with us and you're not looking through them. You're not looking past them. You're actually looking at them. So you're acknowledging that their presence is here. And then the third, so their voice, their voice is, you know, again, something that, you know, you're, you're listening to them. I mean, I can have a conversation with you. I mean, well, let's go with this. When you have a conversation with a person, you look at them and you speak to them and you open your ears and listen to them. Without that, there is no existence. You're telling me I don't exist if you're not looking at me when I speak to you. You're telling me that you don't hear me, so you don't care whatever I tell you. So it's almost I'm here by myself, placed back in that box. Over you placed in that box, but more likely you placing me in a box that I'm just off by myself and in this world alone. So. How can how can I feel have some type of independence if you just construct this box that you place me in and there's nowhere for me to go? So regardless if I do good, regardless if I do bad, there's nowhere to go. And I mean, you know, the thing about it is, is that at the end of the day, we exist for a reason. And our existence is I mean, for me, my existence, is, it goes back to that servitude, It's go back to helping others. Because again, I, I don't want to walk this place by myself. It's boring. <laughs> it's boring to be having a conversation with yourself and you don't share with anybody. It's boring to celebrate things and you're by yourself. Who want, I mean, I I don't want that. So it's all the different things that goes back to, again, having independence to be able to be seen, heard, to be validated. You need it. Well, I think we all need it. We all need some type of validation in our lives to have to feel that there is some independence. So,
0: Yeah, I love those thoughts. They're just so deep and amazing. And what do you think that looks like? Give me an example of either you doing that or someone doing that for you, helping you be heard, seen, or helping your voice be amplified.
1: I mean, it kind of, you know, leadership, placed in certain positions. So, you know, as a leader, it's your job to listen to whoever you're leading. Um, you can't, they're not going to follow you. Whatever you do, and it's whether you're doing community service, whether you're doing whether it's work, whatever it is, if you don't have their ears, if you don't have their attention, as in attention of visually seeing you, your actions, your words, Um, if you don't have their ear, they're not following you. You have to somehow get to that. And sometimes you do separate, you have to separate it from the group. Sometimes you have to work with individuals to come as a group to get everybody on the same page. But you still have to validate everybody within that group and make them feel important. Make I would not even say feel important because I think that's that's kind of a cliche where people say, Oh, you're gonna make people feel important. No, no, no. You gotta give them some type of ownership in it. So you have to give them and ownership in it as independence to allow them to share their percentage of the ownership of it. Without it, so if it's a group of 10 and everybody have 10%, and maybe everybody can't have 10% because if you're the leader, maybe you might have a little bit more percentage. But at the end of the day, if everybody has a percentage in it, everybody tends to give their 100%, which equals their 10% because they know It's something for the group together. So it's those things of how, by giving that, that's where they have the independence to say, hey, you know what, out of my 10%, I think I'm going to do this, this, and this, but I'm going to bring it together as a group. And then we just cohesively bring that together and then we march forward with great things.
0: I love that idea of shared ownership. That's really powerful. And I think that's where we really failed in a lot of cases with this greater idea of freedom and independence is we limited access to ownership throughout the country and we we stalled a lot of access to real freedom. And so there's a real high-level discussion that could happen about why we really failed at you know giving true independence to people long-term and why we are at this crossroads of social injustice and racial tension that we are today is because we didn't give this shared ownership early enough or true enough. And that's really what the heart of the issue is. And it's interesting to me because if we stop and take stock of the real issue and have a discussion about what the shared ownership looks like, we can actually get to better solutions, more diverse discussions, and we get to better outcomes because we get more insight into a larger picture of worldviews. And I just love that concept. So thanks for putting in that framing because I, I think there's a lot of value
1: in that. No, not a problem. And I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it, as I'm talking to you right now, um, of course, like I mentioned, like, man, I think I'm a little nervous. Again, I can talk all day. And, you know, however the conversation goes, I definitely can talk. I'm not one to be shy about it. It's that many people, again, People, you can see it in the news. You can see it, what, news, read it, whatever it may be. People feel like they can change the world themselves. You can't. You can't because your one idea, your one analogy doesn't, it's not the same for everybody else. But there is something in which your thought is that other people may say, hey, you know what? That's pretty good. So, hey, how do we bring it together? Because it might be good for one, it might not be good for the other. Can we find a middle ground? But you can't do that without discussion Then it go back to diversity. And then if you don't have the diversity, then you won't have the discussion, then nobody's not being heard. So it's a back and forth thing, but it all comes back to that. It all comes back to it. You can't exclude one group and say, hey, this this is the right thing for all. And again, that goes back to slavery. It goes back to everything else as far as the country, as far as independence. It goes back to the whole thing about in seeking independence. Everybody wants to be heard. And if you're not heard, there's consequences that come to it. And there's outcomes that come to it. And the results are very impactful. But I went to Costa Rica. My family went to Costa Rica. And the beauty of kind of going back to the diversity thing, the beautiful thing about traveling, if you have a chance to travel, whether it's from one city to another city, out the country to another country, is that you can learn so much. And just one small thing about that ownership. So in Costa Rica, believe it or not, when you purchase property, you get the title in your hand. You get the paper in your hand. And it's interesting because, you know, here you purchase a home, you don't get the title. They hold until you pay it off. It's like, why can't they just give you the paper? I mean, it's yours. If you don't pay on it, they could say this paper is invalid. But by holding that paper... Is holding ownership of that property and holding that ownership kind of dangling over your head that you don't own it. But in a way you do. So it's it's interesting. And it kind of goes back to that whole, hey, if you do this, I'm going to hold this over your head and I won't give it to you until you complete it. It's like, "Mm, should that always be the case? So, and it goes back to, again, going back to leadership groups and everything else. Instead of saying, I'm the boss, I'm the leader, I'm in charge of this. Guess what? We know what your title is, but at the same time, I don't have to respect it. But, you know, let's versus doing that. Let's work together and be seen as a group versus an individual. Again, the title is a title. Yeah, you pay, you pay more or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, let's work together as a group and be known as this group versus just the one person that's in charge of it. That's what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, great thoughts and so profound. And when we think about great teams, whether it be King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table or great sports teams that have just transcended and done well together, they work as a team. They're cohesive. They share that ownership. They know their roles. They work together. And I think there's some power in that. And I wanna share the challenge for the episode based on that. I was we were talking a lot about, you know, thinking about ways you could look to expand freedom or independence, but I think this concept of shared ownership is so powerful that I want to base the idea off that. So while you're thinking about ways that you can expand your concept of freedom and independence and have broader discussions about that, I think that's still important. So I invite you to do that. But as you're thinking about these concepts of freedom, independence around this Independence Day holiday, and as we just came out of the Juneteenth holiday, I invite you to think about how you can... Share the ownership that you have, whatever that may be, to invite people to participate more freely with their own freedom so that they can actually take actions with their own autonomous nature and see what happens. See what creativity is sparked because of that and let it surprise you. Let people do more with their own ideas and don't dictate to hold back your ideas more and see what their freedom does to enhance and build more capacity and teamwork within your teams. Anything you want to add to that challenge, Kevin? I think you have great ideas.
1: Man, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't because, I mean, that's pretty much a lot of things that I'm saying myself that I've been thinking, that I've known, that I've always tried to do. By not doing that, you form opinions that may be completely wrong about groups, people, situations, and everything else. And by forming those opinions, again, you're going back to putting yourself in that dang old box. I hate that box. (laughs) I hate it. And understand that every person is unique. Every person brings something to the table that, again, unless you hear it, unless you see it, you won't know nothing about it. And it doesn't present itself, and I'm going to say this, it doesn't present itself as a challenge. And when I say as a challenge, because sometimes you need a challenge. Sometimes you need that challenge to, again, to ascend to become a better person, without that, I mean, you're just you're stuck in neutral. So,
0: yeah, I totally agree. You know, one of my favorite movies growing up was White Men Can't Jump. Just absolutely loved that movie, and uh, I think they're talking about doing some remake or a series or something like that. But I just loved it. And one of the scenes I love is when Wesley Snipes is talking to Woody Harrelson's character. They're talking about Jimi Hendrix, and they're having this debate about you. Know you might listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear Jimmy, is what Wesley Snipes is saying to Woody Harrelson's character. I think about this conversation we're having about, you know, really like understanding the message that people are trying to say and the full purpose about people. And I think that's my lead into this: the work that you do in New Orleans and that you've done throughout your career as you've moved around. But I know you've done a ton of work in New Orleans. You did it during COVID, delivering food. You mentor a bunch of youth. You came from the inner city of New Orleans, so I know you can connect with the youth. But how do you help these youth see themselves differently? Because I know I grew up in an environment where I didn't envision myself being a success. So how do you help these youth see themselves different than what they see themselves now? And how do you uh, help them hear you like the way Wesley Snipes said, Woody,
1: he didn't hear Jimmy? It's a struggle. And when I say it's a struggle is because it's all they're all different. Again, it comes back to individuals. They're all different. The way I can reach one person may not be the same. I reach someone else. I mean, so for me growing up, I mean, grew up in the city and everything else. I mean, you know, my dad was around. My mom was divorced. My mom and dad was divorced. I lived with my grandmother, my mom and my brother and my sister, you know, went to school. Definitely preach education. My folks, my dad, big in education, everything else. You know, he was the one every day after school helping with my homework. You know, I definitely had the background education. Definitely had something about, hey, read, try to the experience. There were definitely certain situations that I was in as far as, and I'm a, I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't, I was good. <laughs> um, you know, I was played baseball at a park that was uh, predominantly white. Many times I was the only black kid on the team at the same time, whether or not it was my skills that I was I was pretty good and it was my skill set that allowed me to connect a little bit more with folks. But as I continue on, you know, it gave me the chance to see other places, see other things. My folks always kind of mentioned like, hey, diversity, you gotta have an understanding of this, understanding of that. Even with baseball teams that are on and some of the friends that I had, I mean, I got to see their background. I got to see their family situation, their home life. I mean, everybody is not, everything's not peaches and cream for everybody. I had my struggles in my family. Their folks had their struggles, even on the outside looking in as a kid, like, oh man, they have a big house. They live in this area. They live in there. They're good. Nah, (laughs) not true. So it's those things that allow me to see from other different point of views to understand that everybody's not monolith, everybody's not the freaking same. So as I continue on throughout my career and continue being this place that I am now, and again, like yourself, right, I can I tell you this. Junior year, I was like, Man, I'm gonna play baseball. I'm going to play baseball. I can pitch pretty good, that or this and that. And somehow something happened, I tweaked my shoulder and I never pitched the same. But I still love baseball and I was still playing baseball at a high level and everything else. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. In high school, you got to come up with a career and everything else. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, you take these tests and everything else. Oh, it's baseball and this, you're going to be such and such field. So I kind of leaned toward engineering and then it was environmental engineering. Then I went to UNO because I didn't necessarily want to leave at some of the colleges that I was seeing. And it was like, nah, I'm going to go to UNO. I'm going to try to play baseball there and everything else. And then, you know, I entered the Coast Guard. But throughout those things, my connection to my home, my connection to the people The kids who still looked up to me as like, man, he's doing something right. It always allowed me to know I was going in the right direction. Even people who weren't maybe doing the right things within their lives, they kind of like, hey, man, you're doing right. Keep doing, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. Within the neighborhood, I mean, people who weren't, you know, who was struggling, maybe drug addiction, whatever it may be, who wasn't doing right. Like, hey, man, keep doing what you're doing. Don't, you, you know, you see, you see our path and everything else. And it's one of those things that I always gravitated to all the folks. And I just felt like with all the folks, you can learn so much because they have been that done it. And you know what? I don't have to do it. They made that mistake. So I'm not making that same mistake. So because of that, and because of the young kids who looked up to me, as coming up and who wanted to stay close to me. That always made me, Hey, you know what? There's something about this. And I feel like that I live my life, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And based upon those things, I mean, I've always tried to be supportive of folks who do the same thing, whether it's kids and some, I mean, younger folks, kids, older adults, whatever it may be, sometimes they just need that additional encouragement and I just gravitated toward it. I mean, I can't tell you, I mean, you know, whether it's, you know, fate, whether it's God giving me grace, is it something that I've gravitated to? And I always felt that way. I always felt like, again, it's kind of going back, you know, we walk on this world we are on this earth with so many people. Why share it by yourself? I don't know. I don't like being bored. <laughs> There's times that I do want to be alone, but I don't want to be bored. I don't want to go every single day of my life without doing something positive that affects more than just me. And that that's what always had me gravitating toward mentoring. They always gravitate me toward, hey, coaching, towards something more than just, hey, you know what, I'm just going to go to work. And- make my money and that's it you know or so that's what it comes down to
0: yeah i appreciate that i just from when i first met you back in second new orleans all those years ago i've always appreciated that about you and when you talked about you know allowing people to be heard seen and allowing their voices to resonate and be amplified i you are definitely a person that exhibits those traits and does those things and and you do it with such ease too and so you know I think as we talk about how that can be done and you think about those things, one thing I'll say about Kevin as we get ready to wrap up here today is that Kevin just takes the time to get to know people and really spend time with them and allow them to be a friend. And that's what I've noticed about him. And I've tried to emulate that since I've known him because he just, everywhere I see him, when I'd come into the office, you know, whether we were, so busy at sector Norns it's one of the busiest units in the Coast Guard it's it's insanely busy it's hard to describe people in the Coast Guard avoid it because they know how busy it is um, but like Kevin said most people they leave kicking and screaming because the team becomes so knit together because they work so hard together and then there's people like Kevin that just make it so enjoyable but he would just take the time no matter how busy it was to act like he was just hanging out with a friend in the afternoon you know yard sitting in the chairs you know just rocking away you know as we're taking time getting ready for an inspection or whatever going our different ways as we're getting dressed out or something we'd take five10 minutes and just talk about other stuff than work and I think that's what it's about as we do these things is taking the time to really invest in the people around us so that you they know that they matter as Kevin said so eloquently throughout this episode well Kevin any final thoughts to wrap us up today
1: Yeah, man, I do. I do. And I mean, I know you are kind of like closing it out, but I also want to add this to it. And I was thinking about it as you were saying it. I mean, all of our experience teaches us something. And, uh, you know, whether it's hardships or whatever it may be, you know, something that I've learned was that coming up in the service, I was definitely, you know, or, hey, I can do it. I got to do it. I got to do it. I can do it. The Coast Guard can't work without me. If if it's not me and nobody else want to do it. But there's a certain time in your life where you realize, like, you know what, that's not true. <laughs> Next man up is the mentality that people say and it truly is, because the world doesn't stop. Uh stop moving. Time doesn't stop moving just because you're not around. So once I understood that, once I've I guess once I understood that my goal, my drive is, you know, again, kind of going back to that, I can do it all by myself. Like you can't do it all by yourself. So little things like that do help you and help shape you. And then again, as you get older, and I mean, even for yourself, you know, like now, you know, retired from the service, my ambition is not to Be in charge or be the head poncho, to be the man in front. My ambition is to help others. And I mean, you know, with your podcast that you got going, I hope you do great things and everything else. And I mean, I'm not trying to steal your shine. I'm not trying to come be on top of you and be the best podcaster is. But at the same time, I'm here, the backseat of the car, man. Whatever you need, I got you. And I tell everybody that, tell, you know, even right before I retire, like, hey, listen, if you want to make album, Great, but that's not my ambition. But I am here for you. Riding in the back seat will help you get there as much as I can. Um, and it's also being comfortable with that, being comfortable to know who you are and how you can help others out. Because again, you know, I'm not—I go- don't want you to. I, well, I'm not going to let you overwork me, knowing that that's not my ambition. But again, I will support you and let you do the hard work that you need to do to get there, and provide you the guidance that you need to get there. So it's—it also comes with that too. Many people are. I will not say afraid, but unaware maybe until certain certain things happen in their lives that they can't do it on their own. So I just wanted to add to that about the ambition part. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: I love it, Kevin. Thanks so much for those final thoughts and totally worth it. And uh, I always love those closing remarks because they're some of the best ones. Well, thanks all of you for joining us. I've been edified. I hope you've been edified. Please like and share this episode for those that might benefit from it. And those that you can share ownership with so that they can share ownership as well. And thanks again for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership and have a wonderful day.